Welcome to the Language 180 Podcast, where we talk about gospel fluency across cultures. Today, we get to hear from a couple who will share with us the incredible challenges and the incredible joys of learning and using two languages in their ministry context, in their discipleship, in their evangelism, as they reach those around them in these two languages. Okay, it's recording. Well, I'm going to pray for us first. Um And Lord, I just thank you so much for this time that we can talk about this very, very complicated, but yet very um, meaningful uh, issue of of multilingualism. And um, and when we are in these contexts of ministry, God, I thank you for this precious couple and their family who who are in this situation and have handled it in ways that can be so helpful for us to understand. So, Lord, as we just have this conversation, thank you, Lord, that we can learn from them, from each other, but mostly from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And I am really, really glad that I can talk with you guys about this and hear from you and hear from your experience uh, in learning in a multilingual context uh, that has been so challenging and you guys have handled it in amazing ways. And I know by the grace of God and by his wisdom. And so can you just explain a little bit about what your situation is like, where you live, you've lived there for several years, and just what what you faced, like what is what is your multilingual situation? Just give us a little bit of a picture of, of, of what life is like for you with the multiple languages that you deal with. Okay. So we are working with a minority group um, that uh, lives in a country that speaks uh, a trade language that a lot of them uh, spoke in their country. So this is, we're mainly working with refugees that have fled their country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we have found most of the time is that uh, they speak their heart language at home and then they speak uh, the trade language outside of the home. So that would be the majority uh, language. Yeah. To go shopping, to do like everyday tasks, to go to work, that's all the trade language. And so uh, it honestly, it varies according to uh, where the family is originally from, if they're from the city or if they're from the village, um, depending whether they prefer the minority language, the heart language, or if they prefer the trade language. Uh, But I would say, generally speaking, we could say that uh, our people group speaks their heart language at home and then they speak the trade language outside the home. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... Yeah, we've had to deal with both languages a lot. And so in our context, when it, just like our people group, whenever we go out shopping, uh, when we take public transportation, uh, when we're dealing with our landlord, for example, we have mm-hmm. to use the trade language. And then um, when we visit our people group, uh, when we uh, discuss the word together, in those situations, we would use the heart language. Um, our people group is not generally literate in their heart language. Uh, it was it was actually illegal in uh, a lot of countries for them to study their language. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's very rare to find someone who can read the heart language well. Um, so most of the our people group, when they were educated, they were educated in the trade language. And so they do most of their reading and writing in the trade language. Uh, and then whenever they talk, whenever they're discussing something that they read, then they would discuss it in their heart language. And so even in our situation, 
when we're studying the word together, uh, someone has to read it in the trade language, mm -hmm. and then we would discuss it in the heart language. But even when we read the read in the trade language, like um, when we read the word in the trade language, they don't necessarily have the capacity. Not everyone has the capacity to understand all the vocabulary in the trade language because it's so, I guess, a higher level of um, of the trade language, and so they have to translate it into the heart language in order for them to really understand and get what is you know, the word trying to say to him, what is the father trying to say and what and how can they understand that better? And so they have to translate it into their heart language. Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to find out if you guys, um, was this something that you learned early on or was it a process of discovery to understand things like you just said where um, reading the trade language was one thing, but understanding it in the heart language, needing to, it to be explained was an, yet another. And was that something that uh, took some time for you to to really see that dynamic happening? Yeah, it definitely took time. I think uh, as we visited people and we were in settings where we were discussing God's word, or uh, you know, even when we were in small group settings where we were all studying God's word together, uh, we would often see that there were there were a few people that knew the trade language really well, and so they were always called upon to read it. Uh, and then we noticed that they would often have to explain it in the heart language. Uh, there were even times when in group settings, when um, the word was read in the trade language, that someone had to sit next to certain people and translate the whole thing into the heart language. Mm -hmm. And so it really depends on um, the person's upbringing, if they were in a village that only had their people group, or if they were in a larger village with other people groups, how much exposure they had to the trade language. Mm -hmm. and so we found that a lot of like the elderly, uh, a lot of the children mm -hmm. only speak the heart language. And so uh, they would there would be no way for them to have the capacity to understand that higher level trade language. And a lot of the women, because they the didn't women have the especially. opportunity to necessarily go to school. A lot of the men also worked, mm -hmm. and they worked outside of the villages often, and so they had a lot more exposure to the trade language. And so, yeah, it was a matter of like experience and observation. It took time for us to realize um, that not everyone was understanding at the same level whenever the word was read in the trade language. And so we even found that what people would do to help them understand it better is they would read the word in different translations, mm -hmm. and that often helped them uh, get a better grasp of what it was saying. But that is something that's definitely uh, complex, but it's something that's, that's very much the reality yeah. of the work <laughs> that we're a part of, uh, yeah. that you have to deal with both. And you have to deal with both at different levels. Mm -hmm. And so it depends who you're talking with. You know, there's some people that are well-educated and they would struggle to do the whole thing in the heart language. Yeah. And then there's other people who, you know, don't know the trade language well, and they would really struggle if they had to do it in the trade language. So you're having to learn the dynamics of two languages and different levels of, of uh, usage and understanding within those languages in multiple contexts and all of those dynamics kind of working together with with these complexities i mean how did you even begin to mm -hmm. put together a strategy for knowing how to position or you know how 
place yourselves into a learning posture of actually learning these languages and, and, and getting to a point where you could do ministry and and f- understand the things that you were describing right here. Yeah. Well, so we were kind of advised like, hey, this might be a good way for you to go about it. Like um, you might want to learn the trade language, get kind of your feet wet in it, be able to go shopping and kind of bargain a little bit and then move on to the minority language. So we decided to go ahead and take that advice. Um, And so that's what we started with. We started with the trade language. We went to a language institute and um, studied there for about six months. Um, And then we kind of got our feet wet. We were able to, you know, go to the store and buy things and ask for different prices and things like that. And so we were able to kind of do basic, very basic things in the trade language. Um, And then we decided to switch over to the minority language. And we did that primarily through a language helper um, through GPA um, and used that. And so, um, yeah, that was most of our experience with that. Um, we've had other um, teammates that came in and they took the other approach of learning the minority language first and then doing the trade language. And so it's, I don't think there's one uh, I really good way to do it. Um, it's, but we would say from our experience, um, the best way would be to focus on one language and then move on to the next language um, once you kind of have a good um, footing in it, I guess you could say, um, and then moving on to the to the second language. And so that's kind of what we did. We we moved on early earlier, um, like from our trade language. So we we only spent a, a little bit of time in our trade language before moving on to our minority language. But the key for us was we didn't um, put our trade language on the back burner once we switched over to the minority language. Um, we didn't learn both of the languages at the same time, but we still had to use our trade language in everyday life. And so we couldn't necessarily forget it. Um, yes, we plateaued, of course, but um, we were still using it in everyday, you know, conversations of how much is this? And, um, you know, can I can you bring the price down on this? But then with our minority language is where we spent most of our time with our language classes, our visits, um, all of our ministry basically was all in the minority language. I think one of the keys was that we, like, um, like she said, we didn't study it actively, but we still kept a, a learner's posture. Mm-hmm. So even when we were doing the minority language, the hard language, um, you know, if we came across a word in the trade language, often we would ask what it is, and and you know, we would slowly pick up words here and there, and so. Um, we still made some progress in the trade language, but we weren't studying it actively. And so I think that was that's something that's key is that even if you're focusing on one, there's no problem with picking up words in the other one. Well, that makes sense. And that sounds like sounds like um, the process that you went through of, of, of getting a good foundation, uh, being able to get around, maybe getting to a point of what basic conversational fluency where you're able to use the trade language and then you switched over and you, you mentioned using GPA. Mm-hmm. Did you actually, you, a couple of questions related to that, what is GPA and 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 was that a good approach for learning the minority language? And did you use the, I guess this is the third one, did you use uh, the trade language as kind of a, 
uh, a foundational language for uh, learning, uh, using GPA for learning the minority language? Yeah. So a GPA is basically like you use pictures with all of your learning um, and you might use stories and things like that as you get better in the language. And so you have a language helper and they basically tell you what the pictures are in their language and the minority language. And then you go through the process as you grow in, in the levels, then you go into like um, storytelling maybe like short stories um with pictures and that kind of thing and so you you move on um through the through the levels um in that way so that's the approach that we use with our language helper um our language helper did not know uh any english so yes we had to use the trade language which was um definitely difficult at first because we didn't have much but um, by God's grace, honestly, uh, we were able to communicate um, with her the basic idea of what we wanted. And then we would tweak it as we went on um, so that she had a better understanding. And she just got better at um, at teaching it as she understood what we wanted um, out of our lessons and things like that. And so, um, yeah, basically, we kind of trained her up in the trade language and then as we got better in the minority language then we just switched everything over to the minority language and um, continued to kind of train her um, as she taught us and so that was the process that we took with the gpa and so we actually um i mean that in some ways helped push us in our trade language because mm -hmm. we had to explain to her what it was we wanted to do uh, so often you know we would pick up words in the trade language just trying to explain it to her um, and then obviously as our language progressed, we switched our conversation and explaining things to her from the trade language to the, the heart language. Uh, one thing we did do was um, we started with GPA where we used a lot of pictures. And then as our language progressed, we switched over to doing gospel fluency. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we switched over to really focusing our learning on Bible stories yeah. and how can we tell our testimony and how can we explain this bible story um and we use pictures through that yeah too. we use a lot of pictures doing yeah. that and so that was it, we kind of used a combination of the two of the gpa and of the gospel fluency mm -hmm. well it sounds like you guys have really been very very intentional in developing proficiency and fluency in both languages um is in terms of strategy how have you sustained that um that growth posture to be able to continue growing in, in both languages and and where would you say that you are now in terms of being able to use both in ministry um and and, and maybe anything that you would do differently or or what your next steps may be from here i think uh, in regards to our you know level and where we're doing where we're at uh I, we've become fairly proficient in the heart language um to where we aren't focusing on actively studying it. Um, but however, you know, we were very busy in leading discipleship and leading mm -hmm. Bible studies. And um, every so often I will preach uh, in the fellowship. And so, you know, it's situations leadership like that, a lot of leadership development that yeah. really push our language. And so in situations like that, we have more focused uh, times of learning the heart language where we might ask for help and 
in uh, knowing how to phrase things or knowing how to say certain words that we don't necessarily encounter all the time. Um, yeah, we've become, we've, we're to the point where uh, we don't need things translated for us. We can just speak it in the heart language. Uh, in regards to the trade language, so we've actually started going back to studying the trade language. Uh, the reason being is, like we said before, is there's certain situations, certain people you encounter where you really need the trade language. And even among our people group, um, depending on who's a part of the conversation, how much of the trade language they'll use, how much of the heart language. And so there's times whenever, uh, you know, everyone will be speaking the heart language. And then if you bring one person in that isn't very strong in the heart language, the entire conversation will often switch to the trade language mm -hmm. and it will stay in the trade language. And so in situations like that, it's very important that we're able to keep up with the conversation, that we're able to engage and contribute to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so we've actually gone back to studying the trade language. And now that we feel very comfortable with the minority, the heart language, uh, we've gone back to, to studying a couple of days a week with a language helper. Mm -hmm. But we can keep up in like understanding wise um, with the trade language. We understand the majority i would say 80 percent of the yeah we understand 85. the gist of what's going on yeah mm -hmm. maybe 80 to 85 percent of the conversation if they have to switch over to the trade language and so conversationally we're probably not at that point <laughs> but i mean conversationally we can have like basic everyday conversations in the in the trade language yeah i, I feel like that you guys um, really represents such a good example of, you know, toggling back and forth to be able, I mean, over the course of, of literally years of, of developing uh, proficiency and fluency in, in two languages for the, you know, purpose of being able to just be effective in ministry in situations that are multilingual and complex, which, which you guys are, are really working through. Um, would you, um, like if you were to start over again, and this is one question, but I'll phrase it in two ways. Is there anything you would do differently or, or, or when you look back on it, would you say, yeah, you've, you've charted a really, you know, effective course and think about that in terms of, you know, anything that you would recommend for somebody else entering into a situation similar to yours? How would you, um, how would you guide, uh, you know, your younger self, I guess, or somebody else coming into your situation? Uh, would you would you recommend the same uh, course of action that you guys have taken? I think the course of action that we took has worked well for our situation. Uh, it's honestly, it's really important to know the heart language of your people. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen how our acceptance in the community is is completely different from other workers that only speak the trade language. Mm -hmm. Um, we are much more accepted into our, our people group than other people are. And the, I mean, there's people who served among our people group for many, many years, more years than we have. Uh, but the level of acceptance is completely different. Mm -hmm. And even the way they, they talk about us and they talk about other foreigners is very different. They'll often refer to other workers as foreigners and they'll say that we're part of them, that we're not foreigners anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that it's extremely important to learn the heart language. Uh, now, the order of which way you do it, it's debatable. Uh, I think a lot of it depends on the situation that you're in. And if you have, you know, like a platform that requires you to have the trade language, mm -hmm. then obviously you need to excel in the trade language so that you um, 
so that it doesn't become suspicious why yeah, you haven't so made more progress in the trade language. Uh, in regards to advice for my younger self or for uh, new people coming, I think one of my biggest pieces of advice would be the expect to study language for a really long time mm -hmm. and and not to see that as like a really negative thing because no. I think you know we have this idea that we'll study language for a couple years and then we'll be doing a lot of ministry and discipleship and I, I think that there needs to be a shift in our attitude towards language mm -hmm. and have a more realistic view of how long it's really going to take uh, you know we've heard it said a lot there's a reason why these people are unreached. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think one of the biggest ones is because it requires two languages. And yeah. I think if we're really going to be effective in reaching these people, we have to learn both well. Yeah. And that's a big commitment. It's a big time commitment. It requires you uh, to feel foolish for many, many years. <laughs> uh, you know, once you become proficient in one, you go back to being a fool and sounding like a child again. Um, and so I think that's something that we need to really emphasize at the beginning mm -hmm. is that you're going to be in language for a long time. I mean, we've been on the field almost seven years and we're still studying language. Yeah. And that's okay. It's not a problem. Yeah. And so I think that's the biggest thing is uh, just the attitude that we have towards language and studying language mm -hmm. and that, you know, we have to see it as this is our way of really being effective and really getting the gospel to these people in a way yeah. that they'll understand. Yeah. I mean, because in this situation we're in, we're now leading a young adults group, mm -hmm. and most of them are much more comfortable in their trade language mm -hmm. because they didn't grow up in the village. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if we're going to just reach one section of the people group you can focus on one of the languages yeah. but if you're going to try to reach the whole people group you're going to have to become proficient in both of the languages yeah. and so that would be my piece of advice that we need to change our attitude about language and see it as you know every every step i take in the language every, like you know the progress i make in the language means that i can now share the gospel with more people yeah. in that people group yeah I think I think the other thing for us was uh, the idea of like not getting so caught up in um, like whether this is a trade language word or this is a minority language word. Um, they might be interchangeable. You might hear it in the minority language or you might only hear it in the trade language, but not being so caught up. of mm -hmm. Is this the trade language word or is this what they use? only in the trade language or is this what they use only in the minority language? Um, but just being flexible like the people are honestly they you know will interchange the trade language and the minority language you know in one sentence and so being able to be flexible in that way uh, and not being so caught up of am i learning just the trade language word right now or am i learning just the minority language word but being flexible in the idea that it may not be you know, cookie cutter of where this word belongs in the trade language box and this word belongs in the minority language box. No, they're all going to flow together. And so having that, um, yeah, mindset and that flexibility of being like, it's okay if I learn the trade language word and they use it in the minority mm -hmm. language or in the home or in the heart language. So yeah. that's something we did with our language helper. When we were studying, we told our language helper, 
give us the word that people use. Yeah. You know, often she would be racking her brain like, oh, what is the the hard language word for this? I haven't heard it in years. Uh, you know, I heard my grandmother say it once. And so we're like, well, I don't want to learn that word right now because, you know, if, Nobody's gonna if you don't even remember the word and you only heard it once from your grandmother, chances are nobody uses it anymore. Um, but I think often we get so caught up as Americans, we wanted to be very organized and we yeah. want to know, like, you know, and we often saw this, people would be like, no, what is the minority language word for that? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I think this is what it is. But the thing is, if they don't use it, there's no reason for you to use it. And maybe as your language progresses, someday you can learn that word and you can impress people maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in regards to getting the gospel to people, just use whatever words they use. And so even in our sentences that we, whenever we speak, I mean, we'll mostly use the the heart language, but we'll throw in a lot of the trade language into it Mm -hmm. because that's what they do. And so you want to speak in a way that they understand. You want to speak the way they speak uh, to try to, you know, decrease any barriers. And Mm -hmm. so I think often, you know, we can try really hard to speak just purely the heart language. But in a way, that becomes a barrier because yeah. then they're trying to remember what that word means because they haven't heard it in years. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, something that it just requires us to be much more flexible um, and to kind of rethink uh, what does language mean. And <laughs> um, yeah, and just try to do it the way they do it. You know, hearing you that you guys describe uh what you were just describing about uh, the need to be flexible and even just um, the interaction that you have with those who are helping you with language, the posture you're taking in a continued growing in the language for the purpose of, of uh, more and more fruitful ministry, your heart attitudes, uh, all of that I th- is so immensely important for us all to hear, especially those of us who are entering into um multilingual ministry context. And I think it, it like it's it's like what you were describing. It's it's a God honoring process. It's a God honoring posture and and a journey that uh, that is so uh, um, core to uh, who we are and and who God has called us to be. And I'm so thankful for hearing this uh, from you, from from your uh, your testimony of 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 where God has has brought you uh, to a, a place of being able to to minister in these languages in in so many fruitful uh, contexts where you are, um, and it really it really is something that that I know many of us will be so um, uh, blessed to hear. Thank you so much for for sharing this. Uh, it's 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 such a helpful uh, word for us all. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. And thank you for joining us on this episode of the Language 180 podcast. Join us again as we continue to talk about gospel fluency across cultures.